ultimate kind of relationship in an individualized culture like ours because it, it feeds our needs the most, fills our needs. Uh, think about it. We don't, we don't really care about who, like, Justin Bieber has over to his house some guy friends to watch a basketball game, right? That's not going to make it on the front of people.com or on the front of a magazine at the grocery store. No one cares who Jennifer Aniston has coffee with, like one of her girlfriends, to like tell each other how things are going. Okay, Matt Moore does care who she goes on coffee dates with. But that's not going to make it on the front of a magazine, right? All we want to know is who they're dating, right? Who they're with. We don't care about friendship, really, in our culture. We just really care about romance. And C.S. Lewis points out that really no culture really cares about friendship, no matter what culture you're in. Because he says, friendship is unnecessary. It's like philosophy. It's like art. Those are good things, right? But they don't add any survival value to our culture. We can survive without friendship. But can we really survive well without friendship? Friendship is the question he's asking. He says it isn't biologically or sociologically necessary. It doesn't force itself on you, right? I think we might say that romantic love forces itself on you. You get hit like a Mack truck when you see the girl that you like, right? Or the guy that you like. But you don't really get friendship forced on you. It's the only kind of relationship, Lewis says, that you must be deliberate about, that you must actually choose to engage in. So, the Proverbs, Solomon has a lot to say about friendship. The people who we hang out with and the people who maybe we shouldn't hang out with. So today we're going to try to answer three questions. Why do we need friends? First of all, who should be our friends? And what if I don't have these friends? Okay, And these are all on the outlines in the back. If you, if you didn't grab one, you can still grab one of those in the back. So first of all, why do we need friends? Well, first of all, because we've been created to need them. Okay, so we talked about this. You guys might remember in one of my first weeks here, we did those circles that were kind of over the top of each other, gospel uh, content, community, and cause, right? And when we talked about community, we said that in Genesis 2, okay, this is before the fall. This is before sin enters the world. In Genesis 2, The Lord God said, he's talking to Adam, and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. Okay? So God doesn't look down at Adam in the garden and say, hey, buddy, all you need is me. We're good to go here. You're good. No, he looks down at Adam and says, hey, it's not good that you're alone. And notice, it's God that says this and not Adam that that says this. It isn't Adam just kind of, having a boring day and say, man, I'm lonely. This isn't good, God. Give me, something to, give me somebody to hang out with. No, it's God that says it. So, God knows what's best for Adam, and it includes relationships. Now, of course, this is a marital relationship, but I think there are some really important principles that we can see for friendships and just relationships with people. So this means that on purpose, listen to this, on purpose, God made us such that not even paradise and fellowship with him would be enough. We need relationships. Many of the things that he wants to teach us, show us, and give us can only come through 
other human beings. Did you catch that? Many of the things that God wants to teach us about Himself and about the Gospel must come through other people. This is why the church, being the body of Christ, is so important. Each one is different functioning parts of the body. We need each other. He also created us in His image. We've talked a lot about this lately, and that we uh, there's lots of meaning for what it means to be created in his image. A lot of it just means to look like him, act like him. And if we are created in the triune or the Trinitarian, the Trinity image, how many persons or how many members of the Trinity are there? Three, okay? Not just one. This means that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in relationship with each other. They are uh, communicating together. They are as one theologian has called the Trinitarian dance. They are dancing with one another. They are fulfilling different parts of the Trinity, of the Godhead. So, we need relationships, we need friendships, because we've been created to need them. Okay? That's the first thing. Now let's look at the Proverbs. Second, we need friendships because friends, true friends, are constant. Proverbs 17.17. 17. You have that? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This looks kind of weird first. at first. When I first read this, I was like, what is he talking about, this whole brother born for adversity thing? But let me try to unpack this a little bit. Remember that friendships are only deliberate relationships, the only relationship that we choose to engage in. Now, do you choose to have brothers and sisters? No, you're just born into these relationships. You don't say hey, I'd really like a brother, and then you get one, and then you guys become best friends. It's possible that you and your siblings might become and be best friends. It's something we're trying to instill in our boys, the idea that Owen and Caleb, when they grow up to be 25, 30, 40, 50-year-old men, that they would still be close best friends. But it's possible, maybe even with some of you, that you don't really like your siblings, right? You're just born into those. So that's what this proverb is saying. It's saying a friend loves at all times. He or she is constant, always there. Your brother may just be there in adverse times, in times of tragedy. You guys, especially when you get older, I'm sure like you might come together for, you might not talk at all, but then you come together at a funeral and you're just kind of there with your siblings. A friend, though, chooses to be there for you in good times and bads. And in the words of Paul, he, he or she is rejoicing with you when you rejoice and is mourning with you when you mourn. Keller says that there's a difference between a companion and a friend. Most of everyone here are at least companions, right? We know each other, know each other's names, maybe have some idea of each other's interests. But a companion in a time of tragedy, in a time of adversity, Say, he'll, he'll call you, maybe send you a Facebook message or a text, say, hey, let me know if you need anything, right? Making an attempt, he wants to be there for you, but a friend doesn't have to give that invitation. He just is there. He's at your house, mourning with you. Uh, he, he's always there. Now, a quick caveat, constancy, a constant friend, doesn't mean always around you, okay? Look at 25.17. This is one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill and hate you. Okay? So he, Solomon seems to be saying what 
Ben Franklin said, when Ben Franklin said, guests, like fish, stink after three days. Okay, so if someone's in your house all the time, you'll begin to get a little tired of them. Maybe you've experienced this uh, with some of your relationships. So, constancy doesn't mean always around each other, but constancy certainly means always available. Okay, in the good times and the bad times, not just the adverse times. So, we need friends because we're created to need them, because they are constant, and because true friends counsel us. 27.9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. What makes a friend pleasant to you? What makes a friend be like perfume to you? His earnest counsel. So that means that his passionate, his heartfelt, his sincere counsel to you. Now, we all counsel. We tend to think of counselors as someone who's been to college or has some degree in psychology or something like that, and that's what makes you a counselor. Okay, This might be true like to have some kind of license, but if you think about it, we are all counselors, right? Counsel can be good or bad. So whenever we open our mouth, we are counseling one another. That's, again, going to beat this in the ground here. Hello. We're going to beat this in the ground. This is why we're having this Claris Conference. If we're going to open our mouth and counsel one another, we want to do it well and want to use the Word of God to counsel each other. So, since we receive counsel every day from tons of different friends, relationships, forms of media, etc., when we do actually receive earnest, passionate, heartfelt counsel from a friend that we know that they are considering our interests above their own, that they actually care for us, this is meaningful, and we need it. We need encouragement and counsel. And then also, because they correct us. Similar to counsel, correction is, but where counsel, we might say, is to prevent something bad, okay, like keeping you on a straight road. If you're on a road, counsel, we might say, keeps you on that road. Correction is trying to restore something good, meaning you're already off the road, buddy, and you need someone to come and say, hey, let's fix this. So in Proverbs 27.6, Solomon writes, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That's a really interesting verse, isn't it? So I think what he's saying is he's making the he's contrasting friendly wounds, okay? What's up? If if I'm correcting you and I really actually care for you as my brother, as a sister, and I'm correcting you, it might hurt, right? Getting called out in sin maybe kind of hurts. It's like a wound, but it's a friendly wound. I actually care for you. I want you to Repent. I want you to do what is glorifying to God. However, what's the difference, or what's the contrast he's making? A wounding kiss. So not a friendly wound, but a wounding kiss. What's, what's my motivation in a, in a wounding kiss? I'm, I'm kind of like just like winking at your sin, right? Hey, no big deal. Right, so I'm not, I'm not ever really caring for you. I'm just kind of, I, I say that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really love you that much to go through all that awkwardness, right? 
to bring up sin, to try to correct. This is actually a wounding, wounding thing to do when we don't challenge each other, when we don't correct each other because we're giving each other some false sense of reality and that everything is cool and okay. And then when we keep going in our sin, then it's just going to crash on us one day. So actually, while it might hurt a little bit when a friend corrects us initially, it's actually a very friendly or loving thing. And then certainly one of the most famous Proverbs in the book is chapter 27, verse 17. I'm sure you all know it. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There will be conflict in deep relationship. Think about it. When you have two swords, right, and you've got scratches and impurities in the metal, we, we tend to think of just like doing this with a knife. No, to do that, you've got to like slam them together and really knock and make sparks. This is conflict. This hurts the swords, actually. But it restores them and makes them effective. So an earnest or sincere or passionate correction when you're corrected by a true friend might hurt, might cause some sparks initially. But it's actually restorative. It's good. So these are why we need these friendships. We're created to need them because they are constant, because they counsel us, because they correct us. We need these relationships from our friends. So, if that's the case, then who should our friends be? I hope, first of all, we'll see that it's someone that does those things, that is constant, that is counseling, that is correcting. But look at 18.24. Solomon says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We made a differentiation earlier between a companion and a friend, and so Solomon does here. He says, you can have a ton of companions. I guess is you have a ton of companions in this room, at your school, at your, your street, your neighborhood, Facebook friends. You know a little bit about each other. But Solomon says, if you have a ton of companions but don't have a real, true friend that is those things that we just talked about, you will die. You will come to ruin, he says. And so... How do we move beyond companionship, some relationships that we might have in this room, into true and real, deep friendship? Lewis, again, he, the reason I keep quoting him is because he wrote in this book, The Four Loves, he writes this really long and great chapter on friendship. If you don't have that book, you should get it. Uh, but he writes in this chapter on friendship, he says, Friendship arises out of mere companionship, when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some interest or insight or even taste which the others do not share. So one or two or three of you realize that you like or love something that everyone else in the room doesn't. Till that moment, each believed to his own unique treasure or it was his or her own burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like this. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Have you guys ever experienced that? Where just kind of, as you're going, you find somebody that you thought you were the only one that liked this thing. But then you realize that there's somebody else or another couple other people that love the same things that you do. I happened to find this just on Tuesday with Andrew Whiteford. If you guys haven't met Andrew and Jonathan, you should. 
uh, and we went out and had a Coke, and there, listen, there are very few, very few Texas fans here, okay? Uh, most of you are UNM or some ungodly, something like USC. Uh, you know, there, uh, there are lots of other fans here of other schools, but few Texas fans. And I find out that Andrew, while he's lived all over the world, uh, he loves the University of Texas. So immediately, we share some things in common. We share a shared love of Vince Young and Colt McCoy and a shared disdain for Johnny Football, right? And immediately, we're like, all right, and we have things to talk about. You too? I thought I was the only one here in Albuquerque. This is great. But in Austin, right, where we came from last, everyone's a Texas fan. Everyone has the Bevo sticker on the back of their window. Everyone loves Texas. So it's not that big of a deal to like Texas and Austin, right? But here, it's a big deal. So sharing something close and intimate is important to the forging of a great friendship. The forging of a great friendship out of mere companionship. I hope that you've experienced this at some level already. But what do we do if we haven't? What if we do if we haven't? So we just go post an ad on Craigslist, say, I'm looking for a close friend who shares my interests in modern warfare or My Little Ponies. Right, or Dungeons and Dragons, or, I don't know, celebrity gossip, right? So, and then you just wait, wait by the phone, waiting for a text or an email uh, for someone who says, I love Dungeons and Dragons too, let's be friends. You too? I thought we were the only ones, right? Should we just do that? Well, Lewis says, no, you shouldn't do that, and in fact, that's actually quite pathetic. Uh, <laughs> Lewis says, true friends are like traveling companions, We picture lovers, or people who are in love, looking at each other, face to face, right? Gazing into each other's eyes. But friends, rather we should picture as side by side, shoulder to shoulder. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends never can make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something besides having friends. The friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice, Lewis says. So here's, and you're filling the blank here, those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can go nowhere. True and lasting friendships aren't about just convenience. Those who you've grown up in church with, those who you live on the same street with, those who you've had classes with since kindergarten, right? Those, your brother or sister. Those might become deep friendships, but not unless they are about something other than yourselves. True and lasting friendships must first be about something. To have lasting friendships, you have to first look outside yourself. So, what do we do? Start being about something other than yourself. It isn't just playing video games or sitting on Facebook or watching TV. When you start being about something other than yourself, you might just find that someone is walking beside you, a traveling companion, a true and lasting friend. So, I need to say this, though. It's possible, right, for you to have a traveling companion and be moving in a direction that isn't a Godward direction. Is that right? It's possible for the thing your friendship to be about is actually not a good thing, 
<laughs> could be, I don't know, you name it. Uh, guys and girls that you shouldn't be hanging out with or parties or what alcohol, you name it. That thing about, other than your relationship, might be the thing that your friendship then is about. So, Solomon says, chapter 13, verse 20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So, he seems to be saying here, generally, if you hang out with wise people, you'll most likely become wiser. If you hang out with fools, you'll most likely become a fool or more foolish. Now, this is in no way saying that you should never hang out with unbelievers, right? Who did Jesus have parties with? Like prostitutes and tax collectors, the worst of the worst, right? He was hanging out with those who did not believe in the gospel. And this is, should be us too. We, Jesus has sent us out on mission to love and be with, live with those who aren't Christians. But the problem is, this is what Solomon seems to be saying, is that when we hang out regularly in contexts where sin becomes normalized, where sin is just no big deal, then we don't see it as any big deal. And then not only do we not see it as any big deal and just observe it, but then we begin to participate in it, right? So, one author I read this week, Anthony Salvaggio, he gives us some good diagnostic questions, some good questions to diagnose whether you should be in this friendship or not. He says, is this friendship or association drawing the unbeliever to God? This is in your notes here. Or is it drawing me away from God? So it's good, like Jesus, to be having these relationships with unbelievers. These are great things. We need to be on mission, loving and caring for these people. But the moment that relationship starts pulling me away from God, that's when we need to have our antenna poke up, have our little red light siren going off a little bit. He says, is this friendship or association leading the unbeliever to the light or me to the darkness? If these answers are away from God or to the darkness, then I think what Solomon is saying here is not to end the friendship. You don't have to be a jerk. He's just saying, put a little distance. Put a little, uh, little distance in that relationship. And this is true, by the way, of not just our friendships, physical friendships one-on-one. I read on Twitter this week, this was really, really convicting to me. I don't even know who the guy was. He said, when you follow somebody on Twitter, you're inviting them to influence your thought life as often as they like. So choose wisely. So I don't think this is just true of Twitter. This is true of your friends on Facebook, if you have that, or Instagram, or you name it. Any, even the blogs you read, whatever you do on the internet or watch on TV, remember, these are all counselors. These are all counseling you into telling you what you should like what is satisfying, what you think is funny or attractive. All of those kinds of media or people that you let influence you are influencing you, are counseling you. So this was really convicting for me. I went on a Twitter purge after I read that because I realized, yeah, there's people that are just saying crass things. I thought, you know, no big deal. They'd post links to stuff that, I mean, probably aren't, that necessarily that big of a deal, but just maybe I just shouldn't even be wasting my time just reading just nonsense like this. 
they were affecting the way I thought of what was funny, what was attractive. So I went and unfollowed like 20 people this week, and it was great. It was really freeing. Um, I think this is true, especially you guys and girls that have Facebook accounts. These people that you are friends with on Facebook are counseling you. They're influencing. So great little Facebook trick. You don't have to unfriend them. You can just unsubscribe to their news or their news feed. This is great. What they're counseling us into what we think are attractive, what is satisfying. So like this guy said, choose wisely. They're influencing you as often as they like. So these are who our true friends should be. Co-travelers, fellow travelers, those who you are walking in the same direction as. And Lady Wisdom also tells us when we seem to be traveling in a, dis- in a direction that is not Godward, we should put distance in those friendships. So these are the people who we should be friends with. So if you're like me, you might be saying, what if I don't have these deep friends? What if I just have a bunch of companions? Lewis said, and at this point, this movie wasn't made when Lewis wrote The Four Loves. Uh, but he said, the reason, be honest here, did that scene kind of weird anybody out? Like to see guys like crying and hugging? Like, eh, it's a little fluffy, right? And be honest, when you read the story of Jonathan and David, you're like, eh, like kissing and crying when they see each other. What's the deal here? Lewis says the reason that weirds you out is because you don't have a friendship like that. The reason that uh, we don't value friendship like that is because you haven't experienced it for yourself. Remember, our, cur- our, our culture does not value friendship, really only romance. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, first... You've got to be convinced that you need these deep friendships. That it isn't good to be alone, remember? That it's part of our divine image to be in deep community with one another. Counseling each other. Correcting each other. Being constantly available for each other. Sharing burdens. Encouraging one another. Confronting sin. Building each other up in love. We have to be convinced that we need this. Experiencing it for ourselves. Solomon also wrote in Ecclesiastes 4, we often read about or think about this verse when it, like marriage, but there's nothing in the context of Ecclesiastes 4 that suggests that this is marriage. Solomon writes, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. It is good and necessary to have deep, friendships. Remember, it will lead us to our ruin if all we have is companions. So, we have to be convinced first that we need them. And second, while you can't force friendships, remember, you can't just go put up a Craigslist ad asking for people that share your interest in My Little Ponies. You can be more deliberate and intentional with the relationships that you already have. So, I lived in a house for two years in college with four other guys, five of us, and I realized like at the end of our first semester there, my junior year, really for four or five months, all we had talked about was like sports and movies and girls, like maybe some class stuff, but really we had no real meaningful 
conversation. So what we did, every other Sunday night, we would have a time that we called Top Shelf. It was the time of like really great, really important conversation. And we would go out to a coffee shop or just hang out on our couches at home. And this is the hour and a half, two hours, where we were going to really get into each other's life, confess sin to each other, ask how each other are really doing, share with what we've been reading in our Bibles. All, all these kinds of meaningful, deliberate conversation. And I think this is true. We, we can just, we're so busy as Americans and really just talk about frivolous stuff, sports, the opposite sex, what you've been reading, what, I don't know, just whatever, and really never go into a time of intentional, meaningful relationships. So unless we're deliberate about it, it's probably not going to go there. So I would encourage you guys, in your friendships that you have, set a time, once a month, once a week, to really talk about what's going on in your lives. You might pray for one another, confess sin to each other, correct each other, all of those things that we were talking about. So be deliberate and intentional. And third, and this might be the biggest one. I don't know if you've noticed in everything that I've said thus far, but I've framed nearly everything that I've talked about friendship in the other person. So a true friend, they are constant. They counsel. They correct. They are always there for you. They walk beside you. They, if they are leading you away, then you ditch them, right? You know why I did this? Because, here's the deal, this, is, this was really, really convicting for me this week. All of us think that we're Frodo. All of us think that we're the main character and we're just waiting for a friendship like Sam, who will sacrifice his own desires for us, will follow you wherever it goes, wherever I go, even if it means his death. All of us are just waiting for a Frodo or a Sam-like friendship. All of us think that we are David. We just get to do really whatever we want to, and we're just waiting for a Jonathan relationship that's going to sacrifice his own kingdom, his own desires, his own life for me. Right? Is this true? You think that you're the main character. I do too. I'm Frodo. Where's this Sam? Why won't he be my friend? Why won't he be constant? Because I think I'm just waiting on him. We don't, we're waiting on a friend like Sam to say, that's what he says in the book, I'm going with him, even if he climbs to the moon. And if any of those black writers try to stop him, they'll have Sam Gamgee to reckon with. One who's going to give his life for me. Right? But here's the deal. In those kind of friendships, in those kind of relationships, we're treating these people as a commodity, as something that gives us value. Think about it. When you go to the store, why do you give the store a dollar for something? Because the store is going to give you something that you consider to be more valuable than a dollar. So, I will hang out with you if you give me some value to me. If you maybe are popular or smart or good-looking or funny or you just I just enjoy your company, right? You're valuable to me. But the moment that you cause a little bit of awkwardness in our relationship, the moment you wound me in a way that I don't really like or appreciate, I'm out. Maybe even not ending the friendship, but I'm causing, I'm, I'm preventing a real deepening in our friendship, right? I'm going to cause, create a little distance in this friendship. Because it's really, I'm not really willing to go there, sacrifice my own wants or desires. 
But the problem is, I know this is something that you really, really, really don't want to hear, but you really need to hear it. Everyone else in this world, all of your friends are doing the exact same thing to you, <laughs> treating you as a commodity. And the moment you stop providing more value to them than they actually are willing to put up with, they'll create a little distance. They'll really kind of prevent a deepening. And that's kind of hard to hear for us. We think of ourselves as like people that everyone wants to hang out with. They would love to hang out with me every Saturday night they could, right? The problem is all of you, all of us, are just treating each other like, like Frodo's, right? We think that we're the most important part of the story waiting for you to be Sam, waiting for you to sacrifice your desires. And until one of those considers himself Sam, then there's never going to be a real deepening in that friendship. So, whoa. That's what I'm saying. Why don't you try to be more like Sam in your companionships and less like Frodo? Why don't you try to, for once, and I'm preaching to myself here, majorly, Sacrifice your own desires, your own wants, when you're wounded by a companion or even a friend. Don't create distance. Don't prevent a deepening. Sacrifice your own wants and desires. Stop treating other people as a commodity to give you value. But actually love and care for them. And so what has to happen for us to move towards people in this way? Well, Jesus tells us. John 15, 13 through 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. You're not my servants any longer. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And we often talk about Jesus as, Master, king, lord, shepherd, all of these things, right? And those are all true. Do you ever think about Jesus as your friend? Because he calls himself your friend. And this is pretty amazing. Jesus is constant. He is always there. One of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. He says, At the end of Matthew, I will be with you or I am with you until the end of the age. He is with us now, constant. He is counseling throughout the Gospels, keeping us in his love. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, stay with me. Stay here with me. He corrects us when when we go wayward. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. He's correcting us. He's friendly wounding us, right? And then, perhaps most importantly, he lost his friendship with the Father on the cross so that we might have friendship with him and the Father. And when we consider Jesus as a heavenly, constant, unfailing friend who will sacrifice his own desires, his own wants, like Frodo going down into the water, he's to the point of death, and yet comes back for us, then, now, I'm free to move towards others. Now, I'm unafraid of them rejecting me, 
right? Isn't that one reason why we don't move towards each other? We're just afraid that they won't like us really or reject our move of trying to deepen that friendship. When we have a constant, heavenly, unfailing friend in Jesus, I don't need to care about rejection from other people. I love you because he has first loved me. I can sacrifice my own wants or desires for the good of you because he has sacrificed his own wants or desires. And thus causing me to become more like Sam and less like Frodo. And when we move towards each other in that way, real deepening can happen. We might just find that we have, for the first time, deep and lasting friendships that we've always longed for, we've always wanted. So, this is some convicting stuff um, for me. And so I really want, in this small group time, for us to talk about how we view each other. Maybe not specifically, right? But just how we view people and what prevents us from moving out of companionship and into deep and growing friendship. These are important. We've got to have them. We will be led to ruin if we don't have them. So let's talk about it, all right? Break it up.